Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from the southern edge of northern Alberta, Canada. Episode 1 A List of Reasons. blame my sister. We'd just returned from Mike's aunt's place to my parents on the night of Christmas Day, and she and my mom were in the computer room ordering copies of a book. When I asked what they'd ordered, I got an explanation, and that is where this idea came from. Now, normally I don't buy in to the whole self-help industry, and neither does my sister, but this particular book had an interesting premise, one that she had experienced firsthand to be true and useful since she'd read it. The premise is that for most people, the subconscious will sabotage any attempts at happiness, success, and even health. The trick is to engage the subconscious in the attempt, and also to be aware of its sabotage when it happens. I won't go into huge details on the discussion that ensued, but this percolated with me overnight, and on the drive home Boxing Day, I started talking to Mike about a blog and podcast. Here's the thing. 20 years ago, maybe even 25, I started writing. I wrote all the time. It was how I connected with my friends, how I dealt with being bullied in high school, and how I coped with the stress of university. I joined the local speculative fiction writing group for about a year just out of high school. I volunteered to write life histories for children exiting the children's services system. I even took a creative writing extension course after university, so that should tell you something about how much I wrote and how much I enjoyed it. Now, I'll grant you, most of what I wrote was self-indulgent, Mary Sue type things, fan fiction or original ideas, but the point was I was writing, and when I wasn't writing the self-indulgent stuff, what I was writing was pretty decent, plot and character-wise. The people who read it told me so. But, for the last 10 years or so, I haven't been writing. I've given some thought over the last couple of weeks as to why, and I don't think it's 100% a lack of self-confidence, though that probably has something to do with it as well. No, I think it has more to do with my subconscious trying to protect me. You see, I did all my writing by hand, typing it in later if I felt it was worthy enough to get a second draft and be edited. Yeah, all that self-indulgent stuff, yeah, that's never made it past handwritten. So right about the time I stopped writing, I was having problems with my hands. I couldn't handwrite for very long without pain. Even typing was getting more and more difficult, and I had a desk job, so I had to type at work. Looking back, it seems pretty clear. Writing hurts. Therefore, don't write. So, for the past decade, even the few times I've tried to start writing again, it hasn't taken. It hasn't stopped the ideas, though. I've turned over some of the plot lines from my university days in my head, and they've taken on the character of finely polished stones. I had a really brilliant NaNoWriMo idea to do a specfic interpretation of Laura, with a cop with a robotic leg, a beautiful online advertising executive, her chain-smoking gay cook and butler, a society blogger, and an electronic diary. Recently, 
I even wondered what might have happened if Sleeping Beauty's nurse had secretly taken it upon herself to teach her to spin, to give her a weapon against what was coming. But writing hurts. Therefore, don't write. I'm into my second year of the Master Spinner Certificate at Olds College, and what I'd like to do when I finish is teach. I'd like to teach the Master Spinner classes, but I'd also like to teach other things. My thought right now is to take my sixth year thesis and turn it into something, like a course or a book. But writing hurts. Also, who really cares what you have to say? Therefore, but I think it's time to say stop. The point, then, of the blog and of the podcast is to write. For me. It's about regaining the practice and honing the skills I once had. And it's about having something to write for. And even if only two people read the blog or listen to the podcast, I'll still consider it a success, because I'm writing. I hope you will find it entertaining. I hope you will possibly even find it useful. I certainly hope you will join me in my journey to rediscover my voice and the joys of writing. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. So this is the Fiber Week segment of of the podcast, where I talk about the Master Spinner program at Olds College. I'm currently uh, doing my second year homework uh, for the Master Spinner program, uh, and it's a six-year program, so I've got a ways to go. Um, But the reason I want to talk about it has a little bit to do with uh, a survey that came out this fall after this past summer's Fiber Week. They were basically looking for input from um, from the participants in the program about, you know, possible improvements. So I filled out the survey and, uh, and so did a whole bunch of other people. And afterwards they, uh, they sent out sort of a, a recap email. And one of the things that I took out of it was that they said that most participants were looking for more support during the homework process, because with master spinner, you go to olds for a week, the last week in June, and then you have the other 51 weeks of the year to complete homework, uh, your workbook, which is then marked. So people were looking for more support during the homework process. Well, I got to thinking about that. Um, and especially because my end goal is to teach the Master Spinner program. I thought about, well, I'm, I'm doing a podcast and I'm talking anyway, so why don't I talk about my experience doing the homework? Now, I'm not affiliated with Olds College, and I'm certainly not an instructor. Um, I'm just a spinner, like like everybody else. But I figured I'm here, so I'll talk about it. And And if it provides support to someone then that's fantastic. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about uh, what I'm doing uh, currently in my level two homework. And I'm also going to recap um, a piece from uh, my level one homework. So I'll start 
with what I'm doing for level two. Uh, what I'm doing right now is I'm working on module C1, which is um, the spinning of wool, uh, alpaca, llama, mohair, and silk, and blends. Uh, you have to do a lot of spinning for this module, but not a lot of writing, which is why I started it. So far, I've uh, done the 100% llama, the 100% mohair, and I've spun up half the singles uh, for the 100% alpaca. Now, I use commercial roving, uh, commercial prep, that, uh, that was given to us in class uh, for this. And it's interesting. The, the camelids are very slippery, uh, I find. And uh, so you have to be really careful. The mohair, it might have just been the prep that we got, or the particular um, she, uh, goat. Um, I found there was a tiny, tiny little bit of scurf in it. And so I kept having to pick that out. Because one of the things we're marked on in level two is how even we spin in level one, all they want you to do is create string, and now they want you to create a nice string. So, anyway, I'm working on it. Um, I wanted to get the 100% uh, from the commercial roving out of the way, um, because the rest of it I have to card. Uh, you have to do a from raw fleece, uh, the fine, medium, and coarse grade wools, and then a llama wool blend, alpaca wool, and alpaca silk, mohair wool mohair silk and then a textured yarn yeah textured mohair yarn i mean it's fun it's it's very fun but there's quite a bit of blending in level two so i wanted to get the easy ones out of the way and then i can focus on the blending so i'll update you on how i'm going on c1 next time and now i just want to talk quickly about um a module from level one um, I want to talk about uh, module A5, which is washing. And the reason I want to talk about the washing is because my ex- in my experience coming away from molds and doing this later was I the, the book wasn't very clear. I found it wasn't very clear on the difference between, say, washing and scarring, besides the the heat difference and I actually had to go back to my level one teacher I was very lucky that she lives um you know an hour an hour's drive away which is practically right next door in Alberta so we were having a bit of a spin-in and I mentioned I was having real you know trouble with this uh the washing thing so here's what she said um when you wash, it's sort of warm-ish bathwater temperature. Um, and the reason that you wash is because you want to take away the dirt and the sweat, but not necessarily all of the lanolin. And then when you scour, it's hot bathwater temperature because what you want to do then is melt the lanolin and take the lanolin out. So the washing exercise um, in level one, you're asked to spin a skein in the grease, 
and this is all from the same fleece. A skein in the grease, a skein that's dipped, uh, a skein that's from washed locks, and a skein again from scoured locks. Um, so in the grease, uh, that's easy. You, you just grab a handful of fleece and spin. Um, the dip washed is basically you take your, your warmish bath water, <clears throat> no soap, and just dip the locks in. So what you're doing there is you're getting rid of the dirt, but not necessarily the sweat or the lanolin, certainly. And so why would you do this? Um, if you If it's a fairly dirty fleece, but you still want to spin as close to the grease as possible, so you'll, then you'll just get rid of the dirt. Um, a washed lock, again, so what you have is you have two sinks. One, both are your warmish bath water temperature. And you put soap in one. So you dip the lock in the soapy water, and then rinse it, and then the soapy water, and then rinse it, and you're done. Um... What you can do as well is have two sinks of soap. If you have enough sinks for this, two sinks of soap or a basin and a sink of soap and a basin and a sink of fresh water. So then you might go soap, soap, rinse, rinse. Um, those are, There are two options there. Um, and you would basically do the same thing with scoured except your water is hotter. Um, in my, what I experienced when I did this exercise was that from the grease, uh, and up to washed locks, the carding and the drafting got easier, but with the scoured locks, because there's no lanolin left, it got very staticky. So when you're working with raw fleece, you kind of have to make a determination about, you know, how much lanolin you want to take out. Now, with a merino, for example, because it's a high-grease fleece, you can probably scour it, and there'll still be some lanolin left as long as you don't leave it in the water too long. But for a lower-grease fleece, like the one I was using, because I was using um, a long wool, the second all that lanolin went away, it just got out of control. So I guess the takeaway from the washing module in level one is that you need to really take a look at the the type of fleece that you're using, how you want to spin it, and the best washing technique for that raw fleece to help you spin the yarn that you want. Um, is it going to be in the grease? Or, or dip washed, because with, with all that sticky stuff in there, you can spin it a lot finer, because it's all going to hang together. Or if you're trying for a woolen, the sticky's not going to help you, so you may want to go for a washed or a scoured uh, lock. So that covers off level one and level two uh, for this segment. Um, if you are in level one, and and have a particular module you want me to talk about next time, uh, send me a message, either on Ravelry or or via the website, 
and uh, and I'll cover that next time around. And hopefully by next time I'll be quite a bit further along in module C1 uh, for level 2, and uh, we might be able to talk about a different module. We'll see where I'm at. Fiber Notes. So this is Fiber Notes, where I talk about some of the things that I've been working on, both knitting and spinning. And since this is the first Fiber Notes, I'm just going to talk about the things that I'm currently working on uh, for the most part. So I will start with the interminable mittens. Um, if you've been following the blog, you will most likely have read about the interminable mittens. Uh, these are Christmas presents for Christmas 2012 um, for my family. And then that is my mother and father and my sister and brother-in-law and their three-year-old son. So I actually started the interminable mittens back in uh, February 2012. I I got a really early start on the Christmas knitting, let me tell you. I decided to do uh, Selvogodr, Norwegian stranded mittens um, for my whole family. So I picked a pattern out for my sister, and I started with that one. And it was my learning pair. I learned a few things, but, you know, they were still great. Uh, I did them in uh, blue as a main color and gray as the uh, contrast color. They were great. You know, I finished them probably in a couple months. And then I'm like, oh, I've got plenty of time. No problem. I, uh, I knit the toddler mittens when I went to England. Uh, for the Olympics in July and August. And I also started the pair for my mother. I chose the same pattern as I did for my sister uh, to do for my mother uh, because I, you know, I, I knew it was a good shape and size for, uh, for women. And because it was a different color, uh, I used um, kind of a spicy orange and a, a green. Um, you know, I figured they'd look different enough. So that was great. So, you know, by September I had the women done, I had, I had the toddler done, and I was on to the men. I picked a, a different pattern, a men's pattern, from the, um, book Selbuvater by Terry Shea. And I, I knit those. I started the one for my brother-in-law, reversing the colors, so the gray was the the base color and the blue was the contrast color and I got up past the thumb and then I tried them on and I had a hard time getting them on so I asked my fiance to try them on and he couldn't even get it on his hand so that was unfortunate so I left it because I'd gotten pretty far and I wasn't sure what I was going to do and I started with the colors for my father. I went up, I'd been doing them on a 2.5 millimeter needle and I went up to a three. And I did, I did the cuff and up to where I would put the thumb stitches on a, on waist yarn and asked Mike to try them on. And it was the same thing. He couldn't get it on. So I thought about this a little more and ripped it back and then doubled up the yarn 
and did a four millimeter needle. And that was too big. I know, I can't win on this one. So I got a little frustrated. I put it aside. But then it was December, and I sat down, and I did the math, the gauge math. And what I figured out was either to make that, that particular pattern work, I would have had to add 12 stitches to the pattern somehow. Or I could knit the same pattern that I'd done for the women on the larger needle size. So I started on the three millimeter needle and I really should have known better because I wasn't happy with the fabric. It was, it was just that touch too loose. So I ripped that out, went down to the two and a half millimeter needle. And finally I had something that was going to work. But by this point it was, you know, close to the middle of December and I had, you know, four mittens to knit and I just knew that wasn't going to happen. So what I did was I focused on getting one mitten done from each pair. And I almost got one mitten done from each pair. What I did was when I got to the the tip of the mitten, the top of the mitten, I threw it on waste yarn and, and wrapped it like that. I did the thumb and then just wrapped it with an IOU for the right hand mitten. Which worked out really well, because then when they opened them, they tried them on, and I fit the top of the mitten to their hands. And which was good, because apparently my brother-in-law's hands are longer than my fiancé's, which surprised me just a little bit. Anyway, since uh, I finished off uh, those two, you know, the two left-hand mittens while I was down there uh, in with for Christmas... Uh, and then there was one mitten left for each pair. And, oh, there's just something about knitting the same pattern eight times. Um, I mean, I practically got it memorized. And it's just, and that's why they're interminable. It just doesn't seem like they're ever going to end. Even though I know I'm now in the last mitten. My brother-in-law's pair is done. It's washed. I just have to throw it in the mail. It's my father's. I'm currently up to the point where uh, where I need to start the main hand chart and I just haven't been able to make myself do it but I know it needs to get finished I know it's only one mitten and it won't take very long so by the next episode I can guarantee you the interminable mittens will be finished and next year everybody's getting knitted Christmas ornaments if they're getting anything knitted at all so those are the interminable mittens Um, the other big project that I'm working on right now is my 2009 sweater Uh, why is it everything I'm talking about today seems interminable I got this yarn for this sweater uh, for my birthday in 2009 from my parents and uh Keeping in mind, this is the first sweater I've ever knit at all, and it was practically my third cable project. The sweater is the Cable Yoke Cardigan from the Fall 2008 Vogue Knitting. You can see a picture of it on page uh, 108. 
but I will, of course, put a link uh, to the Ravelry um, pattern in the show notes. Um, It's lovely. It's It's a lovely sweater, but it's cabled all over. And because I wasn't comfortable with cables, the back took forever. Um, but I finally got it finished this year, or this past year, 2012. 